Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Tina Turner passing away this week, and it's one of those deaths that deserves an extreme examination. It's been getting that way, and just so many tributes and so many things to say here on every level of music. It wasn't just the songs. It wasn't just what she did. It was her life and the things that she accomplished and how she did. Alan Cross joining us live, broadcaster with Q107, 102 The Edge, commentator for Global News, and one of the country's finest music historians. Alan, good afternoon. Thank you for being here. Yeah, this this was awfully sad. Um, But the weird thing was, Tina Turner retired from touring and performing and when she was 68. So she was sort of frozen in time for a lot of us. And we didn't realize that she was getting older. We didn't realize how sick she became in the 2010s. So, uh, you know, for her, uh, I guess her image of, of, of her uh, was, was frozen in the 80s and 90s. And we just didn't expect her to be this old and to die. It's true. And there are many celebrities who are like that. And it also means that somehow she got into a certain place with all of us. Uh, You know, talk about crossover. I mean, was she rock? Was she rhythm? I'm like, what was Tina Turner? And whatever it was, she planned it and she could be played everywhere. Alan, how would you define her? Well, she had two uh, definite aspects to her career. The first was with Ike in uh, the 1960s, and she was definitely some sort of R&B slash rock and roll hybrid. Back then, she was basically the, the queen of rock and roll. Uh, then she falls onto some some weird times in the 1970s. She went through a series of solo albums that did nothing. She was actually dropped by her record label, Capital, or was about to be dropped. But then the executive in charge of her career went for dinner with David Bowie, and he told him that, uh, yeah, you know, I think Tina's done. And Bowie says, no, she's not. You were going to re-sign her. So he did. And that put her on the road to the Private Dancer album in 1984, which is when everything aligned, all the stars aligned. She had the right songs, the right image, uh, the right producer, the right label, everything. And for some some inexplicable reason, this, this should not have happened. She was a woman in her early 40s, and she became an MTV star at the same time as people like Cindy Lauper and Madonna. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Yet, uh, yet there she was. So true. And how did it happen? I mean, as I talk about that crossover and Private Dancer and that album, it just went everywhere. It was a strange right. album. And so, I, I have to say that I, I wasn't really a fan of it at the time because it just was played so much. I'm just being honest. Yeah, it it, uh, it was a massive record, sold about 12 million copies in North America alone and sold much more in Europe. She was actually bigger in Europe than she was in North America. Mm-hmm. I believe that. She was Madonna-level um, famous in, in, in Europe. She came out with this album at pretty much the right time because MTV was at its peak of influence. And with MTV, you needed to look as good as you sounded. Maybe even you need to look better than you sounded. <laughs> Let's just and, say it. Yeah. And and here was this this woman who had this arresting 
physical and yeah. visual image with the hair and the clothes and the legs the and the high heels and, the, yeah. and everything else. And it just, it just fit. And she fit into a weird sort of thing because the kids would be watching MTV for their pop, for their pop stars. Uh, but then mom and dad would wander into the room every once in a while when a Tina Turner video was on. I go, hey, I know who she is. I grew up with her. And she actually had the effect of drawing in parents into the MTV culture. And that was another big part of, of, of her appeal. So she became one of these cross-generational artists. The kids loved her and the parents loved her as well. It's true. She didn't have that forbidden, hyper cool image. I, she did. I mean, to the public, she was very acceptable, wasn't she? I guess, yeah, maybe that's it. But she, at the same time, she was full of energy, very sexy, and and uh, you know, confident. I think the, the her confidence is the thing that really uh, att- attracted a lot of people. But then that confidence was also. Um, I, I guess tempered, cut with uh, vulnerability. You know, a song like "Private yeah. Dancer," for example, a very vulnerable song written by Mark Knopfler mm-hmm. of Dire Straits, and then a song like uh, "What's Love Got to Do with It." Same sort of thing. There was a strength, but an underlying sense of vulnerability to it. And by this time, we had known her story with with Ike. Mm-hmm. You know, gave her the name Tina Turner back in the 1950s, but then immediately trademarked her name so that if she ever tried to get out from under his thumb, she would have to leave with nothing, including her stage name. She finally got rid of Ike in 1976, famously leaving him in a hotel room, and she had 36 cents and a gas credit card in her pocket. In 1978, she divorces him finally, and uh, she gave him just about everything just so she could maintain her name, her stage name, Tina Turner. Uh, and then it was after that where you know she had had the four solo albums, none of which had done very well through the 1970s, but then uh, she, she, after 1979, had a fourth album, and this this threat to to have her dropped uh, is when everything turned around, and she became not only this this example of 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 a, of a giant pop and rock star, but also uh, this this confident woman who was, had escaped a, a an abusive relationship and managed to turn her life around. So she was uh, a hero on on many different levels throughout the 1980s and 1990s. And then, you know, when she gets to the 2000s, like, you know what, that's it. I'm done. I think I've done everything that I can possibly do. 68, she uh, decides that she's going to retire. Uh, meanwhile, though, she's had these health problems. She was diagnosed with very high blood pressure in the 1970s, never really did anything about it. Uh, that eventually led to some kidney problems after about, well, actually, there was a stroke in 2013. Then she ended up with uh, intestinal cancer in 2016 and in 2017. The hypertension and everything else that she had been trying, including some homeopathic memories, caused her kidneys to fail, and she needed a kidney transplant in 2017. Which uh, the and the donor was was her husband, Erwin. Yeah, who was uh, yeah. younger than him. Are we younger than her? And, yeah, and, uh, what a what a lovely story, Alan. Let me let me ask you. You know, as a woman, I was just struck as we often are when somebody passes away. Something I didn't really realize what she accomplished for women because it really was incredible. There were not a lot of female rock stars when she, she made it. And secondly, they copied her, you know, Mick Jagger, as I said earlier, taking notes from her moves, changing the way he does stuff. That's pretty incredible legacy to have. Yeah. When you, when you, when Mick Jagger says that 
uh, Tina Turner was a mentor. You know, he's not mm-hmm. kidding. Oh, I know. You know, you know uh, when, when she started getting, uh, you know, the hits in the mid '60s with Ike, with uh, her their version of Proud Mary and uh, River Deep Mountain High, and you know all those songs. Uh, there was nobody doing anything like that. She was straddling this this era, this 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 um, uh, this scene between the Chitlin circuit, which she and the Ike Turner band uh, played relentlessly through the fifties and sixties, and the wider world of rock and roll. And there was no one who sounded like her because, again, if you go back to the nineteen sixties. You know, you were uh, girls were supposed to, you know, sing pretty mm-hmm. and look nice. Yeah. They they weren't supposed to have the kind of um that we saw with Tina yeah. Turner. Nobody sounded like her. Nobody had a voice like her. The, the closest comparison might be Janis Joplin, who came later. But um, you know, she she was doing things for for music. Forget about you know doing it for women. She was doing it for for humans, taking it into a place that it really hadn't been before. And if you've got people like David Bowie and, and Mick Jagger looking at you and thinking, you know, I can learn from you, well, that, that tells you everything you need to know. Really does. And and he was pretty proud of it, too. And as you say, you know, David Bowie, what was it, do you think, that that drew her to them? What element? Because she was, was it the physique and the talent? I mean, or did she, she have some kind of a package? You know, we always want to know, can you bottle that? What was it? No, <laughs> with her, you couldn't. She was, mm-hmm. she just had something that, you know, she was the complete package, but what, what was that? I don't know. Um, all we know is that whenever she appeared with any of these people, you know, with Brian Adams and that, uh, in his song, uh, it's only love uh, dancing with Mick Jagger on stage at Live Aid in 1985. Uh, you weren't looking at Brian Adams, and you weren't looking at Mick Jagger. You were looking at Tina Turner. She had that kind of magnetism and that ability to really command attention. With you know the moment she stepped on stage, and uh, like right now, I know everybody who's listening to us is hearing her voice in their head. Because it was that distinctive, that powerful, and that um, that indelible. It's true. As you said that, it's just absolutely true. You know, it's amazing, too, as we just can't, I can't get her out of my mind this week because you're seeing pictures of her on social media and with, you know, everybody, everybody, especially in the 60s and 70s and Jimi Hendrix and everyone they she was welcomed in ways that i i just can't think of too many women at that time who were welcomed in that group no that's true she uh again go back to this idea of of her being such a trailblazer for for not just women but for you know black women uh yeah it, it's hard to imagine the history of rock and roll without her um but the the issue with her is that she was a fixture for so long and you you know just begin to accept her as a part of the, the the landscape, but that's not that's that would be doing her a disservice because of all the things that she did, all the people that she influenced, and the way her sound and image and and style um, worked its way through so much in music. I, I, there's not a diva today that doesn't owe something to to Tina Turner, and I think a lot of young singers would be you know who who rely on. You know, pitch perfect vocal performances, thanks to some studio trickery. They would do well to to study what Tina Turner did without those studio 
tricks to create such a, a powerful and, and, and passion sort of performance. You know, a lot of replays here of Proud Mary as people uh, look towards it. I and I, I have a memory of being in. I worked at a radio station when I began in Niagara Falls. I think you've probably heard those stories from your wife, Alan, yes. and um, going in the news van, and we went over the border and went into this. Uh, crazy might have been a little dive bar it was a bit sketch and the band was doing proud mary and invited us up and we a few of us going up and singing i'll never ever forget it pretending to be tina turner doing that song it it <laughs> really i know you can imagine it but it was pretty good it's pretty good my sister was up there too and but it's there was something about that song, too. And, you know, Fogarty just was so grateful that she did the take on it and did the cover of it. But that song kind of epitomized her energy in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it did. Uh, if you were familiar with the CCR version, which is a fairly mm, straight ahead, yeah. mid-tempo rocker, uh, okay, that was one way. But then the, with, with Tina and Ike, they started nice and slow yeah. and then it gradually built up to this yeah. frenetic sort of appearance that uh, this, you know, and you never forgot it. Of course, you had to see her do it live because, you know, with, with the dancing, and, you know, I don't know how she managed to stay aboard those, those high heels. <laughs> it's just amazing. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it, it's, again, nobody else like her. Nobody. No. And you know what else? Final comment. She had talent. I, I, you know, there are people who become famous and did at the time and circumstances and they had a, a good voice and somebody else wrote everything. But she had like old school Hollywood talent, didn't she? She could dance and she could sing and she had the looks. As we began, she had everything. She did. And then again, this is the result of those really, really, really tough weeks and months on the Chitlin Circuit in the southern U.S. You had to be good to impress those audiences. Oh, yeah. You were in and trouble. You, <laughs> and then she was, and she did. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.